How many of us dentists look beyond drill, fill and bill? How many of us dentists look beyond the mouth? And how many of us dentists look at the entire patient? Holistic dentistry is not an alternative to conventional dentistry. Rather, it is looking at the bigger picture. Holistic dentistry makes the connection between teeth and the rest of the body, creating treatments that help instead of harm. Mercury is one of the most toxic naturally occurring elements on Earth. There's a huge amount of research proving the dangers of amalgam mercury fillings. Why is it still in use? So, the government made plans to advance health by adding fluoride to all tap water in England. Hydrofluorosilicic acid. What are the consequences for our health? And the fluoride added to tap water is 20 times more toxic than calcium fluoride, the naturally occurring fluoride. Should you be concerned? Now, in my capacity as a health consultant and podcaster, I take the liberty to speak my heart and I'm sure you'll appreciate it. As long as it touches you in some way or the other, I've accomplished my mission to get you feeling and thinking about this topic of dentistry and overall health. My name is Dr. Elmar Jung. Elmar, it is fantastic to have you on Speaking Naturally. Um, we have met before, of course. We've um, both been involved in this area of integrative and holistic health for many years. And I think we were just talking about having been at an event together probably over 10 years ago. But I also know loads of patients, including some that are very close to me and work in my team who've been um, seeing you as a holistic dentist um, and, and really remarkably pleased that they're seeing you and not a conventional dentist. So today, Elmar, we're going to be having a conversation about lots of stuff that is important to people, particularly in relation to this extraordinarily important connection between our mouths, our buccal cavity and the rest of our health. And we're going to be touching on a, a subject that a lot of people are not thinking a lot about, which is the, um, the oralome. Everyone is very familiar with the microbiome in the human gut, and we know we need to look after it by having lots of fiber and polyphenols. But we still see a lot of people thinking they're doing the right thing, often because they're told by their dentist that they should be using fluoride toothpaste, they should be using a fluoride-based mouthwash. And of course, this is putting an overt toxin into the mouth. And it's pretty much like taking antibiotics every day for the gut microbiome. Not a good thing. So we'll be looking at all of that. So. Um, To kick us off, Elmer, please introduce yourself to our audience. Well, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, Rob, to be here and meet you again. I was really looking forward to, to our chat today. And well, yeah, I started dentistry about 40 years ago and already during university, actually, when it came to working on the patient, 
and we got these materials that we needed to use, which obviously was amalgam. I was a bit confused because only two years ago in high school, we learned that mercury is the most toxic, non-radiating material and poison on planet Earth. And so all of a sudden, we were allowed to use poison and put that into people's mouth. Bit of a, a strange thing. However, being at university, you don't question things. And even if you would question, you would do it in a, in a way that is so that you will still get your certificate rather than annoy the professor and then drop out of school. So you just keep going with that. However, when it came then to opening my own practice, I never, ever used amalgam. Wow. So, right, right from the beginning. So just just yeah. give us give us a year, Elma. What year are we talking about when you first opened your dental practice? My first practice, I opened in 91, 1991. Wow. So what was around and how many other dentists realized that there was a problem with amalgams and mercury? I don't think there were too many at that time because it was the material of choice. We got taught that is good. And once it's in your mouth, it doesn't really cause any trouble because it's solidified and that is how it stays. And we all know it couldn't be further from the truth. Well, what about all those videos? Have they not hit the uh, they hadn't hit YouTube? YouTube wasn't invented. Oh, no, no, there was no Internet or, or anything like that or only just in infancy. So. There, there wasn't really much. And being on that course from the beginning, I mean, you'll be called all sorts of things. I, I have been a Scientologist because I use these funny methods, not using what the conventional dentists do. And so it, it, it took quite a while until people got it. But when you talk with a patient, I mean, they were absolutely happy because they knew what, what, why would I want a poison in my mouth? And so we we developed a, a private practice straight from the begin. And, and people loved the way we dealt with them because they knew it's, it's not just about drill, fill and bill. It's more about really looking at the overall picture of their overall health rather than just the teeth. So tell me what in your view with your 40 years behind you is the relationship between the health of our mouth of our buccal cavity and our whole health how is it linked well that's that's a, a really great question because still in this present time dentistry is, is kind of a an extra part of medicine but not really integrated and from my point of view dentistry with all the disciplines involved is central to our overall health. I would even say that at least at least 60% of ailments, diseases stem from the mouth, whether that's your bite, that's the fillings, that's the treatment, that's how you bite, that's what you put into your mouth, what you feed yourself, what you drink. It's, it's so, so big. And because we know that teeth are connected to the organ. The Chinese knew that thousands of years ago. So it makes me kind of laugh that this hasn't really gone into modern dentistry, modern medicine, but then we all know the reasons behind that. And so it's important to 
educate people so that they become knowledgeable, that they can ask the right questions. And which is, I find the most important thing, take responsibility. Exactly. We, we don't see a lot of um, general practitioners really doing a tongue reading in the way that we see in traditional Chinese medicine, but they are looking for generally infections, particularly around the tonsils. Um, obviously, people are also increasingly aware that, that even dental decay is linked to a bacteria, Streptococcus mutans. They may not know the name, but they know that this is a bad guy, hence poison, poison, poison. So just in terms of this relationship with health, for a second, let's just take infections out of the equation. If we're not looking at the bugs and protect potential pathogens, what about structure and how that relates to overall health? Why is it? a biggie and we do that in our initial consultation. So we lie the patient flat in the chair and we have the mouth open. Then we check the leg length and then we let them bite together, get out of the chair, move down the corridor and back, lie them back down with their mouth closed and we check then. And very, very often we see a change in leg length. Tell me how that works. Well, the reason why that is because we're interconnected. So the muscle, they're not just here and stop there. They're connected with the shoulders. They're connected with the hips and so with the legs. And it's a it's a really fantastic working together. And what we often also see is that when people have insoles, that the insoles just in a way manifest the wrong bite rather than that the guys who do the insoles have a look further up the chain to see that there is something not quite right. And they wouldn't really necessarily need to be involved in the whole treatment if the dentist would do the job so that the teeth align properly. Absolutely. We, we see more and more adults, obviously loads of kids with, you know, rail tracks and um, some of them are using um, more invisible aligners like Invisalign, for example. But what I'm noticing is that there's a lot more adults later in life who now suddenly got, you know, railroad tracks or Invisalign. Um, is this part of preventative de dentistry? Because over years, the bite cannot just be corrected by, um, you know, shaving little bits off of teeth, but actually requires a repositioning of the teeth and from an evolutionary point of view that's interesting in itself is it because we're living so long that we need that what, what's your view on on adult realignment i think it's a mixture i would say that the overall picture is that most people do it for aesthetic purposes mm -hmm. and it's also a side effect or a consequence of what has happened previously in their life. Because when we go back to kids, when they need orthodontic treatment, parents normally are told, well, yeah, it looks a little bit crowded, but let's, let's just wait. Wait until they're 12, 13 years old, and then we'll have another look. Mm. So you go back with your child when they are 12, 13 years old, and yeah, it's really, really crowded. So, well, 
what can we do? Now we need to take four healthy teeth out because we need to create space. That was me. Yeah. And, and then this creating space, if you look at it correctly, it's, it's a dream because you do not create any space. You make it even smaller because you need to pull it together so that they stand in a, in a nice way. And they look beautiful. You look at the top. They look beautiful when you look at the bottom. And then they close their mouth and it's chaos because the teeth don't come together nicely. And because once they have these railroad tracks, teeth are pulled and pushed in positions that they wouldn't naturally go. So you need to have retainers lifelong, which means you either wear something out of plastic that you have to wear at night, or they put metal bars behind the teeth to stabilize the situation. Now, the ideal way of dealing with that, if I just go into, into children's teeth, would be, okay, we now see you're four or five years old. Bobby, now we need to start here. We need to look at what kind of habits does Bobby have? What kind of misalignments are there? And then with tiny little bits and pieces, motivating parents and the child to do myofunctional work, to do a little bit of exercises, wear something where they can munch onto, but start very, very early. And so it's a, it's a teamwork where parents actually have the main part. This is where we're going back to taking responsibility. They need to motivate their child that they do the exercises, do the exercises with them, that they wear the appliances. And the, the dentist becomes the facilitator, checks that is going in the right direction. And when they are then 12, 13 years old, they have broad jaw bones and the teeth have all the space they need. Amazing. So do you think there's a relationship between the increased consumption of ultra-processed food and the fact that, that kids are not chewing on stuff that's hard enough? And um, might there even be a relationship as we get society pushed more and more towards vegan diets and consuming less um, meats, for example, that tend to be tougher to chew? Could that have an impact on alignment of children's teeth? It not only has an impact on the alignment of teeth, it also has an impact on the size of the jawbone because as you rightly say we don't chew properly we don't chew long enough we eat too fast we swallow too quickly and so the system whatever it is got the evolution we don't need so many teeth anymore that's often the case when all these wisdom teeth are impacted they mm. they don't have the space to get there and it already starts with breastfeeding. So if you don't breastfeed your child, then there's no not enough information for the system to, to really expand. Because we all know when, when kids are on the breast and they're finished, they're exhausted. They're, oh gosh, and, and fall asleep. And why is that? Because they really, really have to suck out the milk out of the nipple. It's not just going there, open the, um, the tap, and here it runs. This is what happens when they get the bottle. They drown almost. But what they have to do is they have to put the nipple on the top of the palate, push the tongue against the nipple and, and 
really, really suck the milk out. And this is what puts, puts the, the nipple to the palate. And this gives the system the information, okay, over time, I need to widen. I need to widen. And so doing breastfeeding for at least six months is the best thing that can really happen to kids done properly. Because we see also that kids who are breastfed are far less likely to develop food allergies, asthma, gut issues. They know how to swallow properly. They know how to breathe properly. And so starting at the very, very early age is the best foundation to stay healthy long term. So from the breastfeeding and then when we see the introduction of solids, um, as as I guess the the uh, in order to trigger the impaction of the teeth, we want to see kids not having just soft pulp all the time, but really chewing on things. Yeah, they that, need to chew on steaks, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It, it is amazing. Uh, as I've traveled uh, much of my life in, in different parts of the, the tropics, and you see indigenous people yeah. um, in Africa, so often the kid is chewing on something that's really tough. Um, we don't see that. Uh, if anything, you see um, kids with dummies in their mouth, for example. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, some enormous lessons that, that everyone can benefit from, but that started from a very young age. Let's move to this idea of infection. So um, nasty bugs that can create tooth decay um, are well understood. Um, what about relationship with other bugs and more general infections in the body? And then if you can sort of weave in how there might be a relationship between infections and the presence of toxins. I think for, for many people, they go, if they hear about the fact that they're full of amalgam, are they thinking, well, there may be some benefit because it's going to reduce the presence of these nasty bugs. But um, so often you see people who have lots of amalgams having more and more drillings and more and more fillings. So clearly it's not having an anti-infective action in any way. Um, how does that all work? And is it, of course, does it go beyond the um, buccal cavity? Is it stuff that relates to our whole systemic um, infection? I think from a holistic point of view, everything affects everything in our body. We, we can't say, oh, well, you got something in your eye and that has nothing to do with anything else because we're, we're so interconnected. And, and this partmentalizing, I think this is a big, big crux nowadays because when we, when we look back, I mean, I, I remember when I was young and my GP, they, he even came home when we were sick and he looked at the whole picture and he could then say, okay, well, you need to go to that specialist or that specialist for this or that. And nowadays you only go to specialists and your GP, well, he didn't, doesn't even have time, let alone having the overview what's what's actually going on. So that's one thing. And the other thing is when we look back to Pasteur Beauchamp, for example, Pasteur always say, well, it's the bug that's the problem. It's the bug that's the problem. And Beauchamp saying, no, it's the environment. And so 
we really need to get this into people's head that yes, there are bugs that are dangerous, that cause problems, but bugs can only strive when they get the environment to do so. They're opportunistic critters. Yeah. So we need to create an environment for them that they can't exist, that they can't strive and go overboard so that the good bacteria keep them in check. And I mean, we wrote that in, in the article where, where we say men has billions of bacteria. So without bacteria, we wouldn't even be here. But mm. it's, it's this, this balance, whether that's with our bite, whether that's with the bacteria, with the food we eat, it's all about balance. And so, yeah, if you have metals in your mouth, obviously that makes a disbalance and a dysbiosis in your mouth. And if you have a dysbiosis in your mouth, obviously you will have a dysbiosis in your gut. And then you have a, a dysbiosis in your brain because we know that this all, again, is interconnected. The vagus nerve, the, the nervous trigeminus from the jawbone, everywhere there, the bacteria can travel. They travel through the bloodstream. They cross the blood brain barrier and in they are so we really need to find a way to make sure we are balanced and teeth is, is a big issue here because people who don't brush their teeth for example they have a i think it's about 65 percent higher chance of getting brain problems alzheimer's parkinson's even ms and just by not cleaning your oral cavity. And then if we look at cleaning the oral cavity, what does that mean? Well, well I was going to ask you that, that exact <laughs> question. Tell us, tell us what it does mean. Tell well, us how to do it properly. How much of a space do teeth take in your mouth? It's, it's about 10, max 20%. And then you have the cheek, we have the gum, and we have this big, big organ called tongue. Mm. And so cleaning your oral cavity means absolutely brush your teeth. And you can't do that in 30 seconds. You can't even do that in 30 seconds. I mean, I, I always funny, uh, yeah, jokingly, I'll say you only need to clean the ones you want to keep. So for mm. some people that might reduce the, the amount they need to brush, but normally, I mean, I, I stopped it this morning. I, I need at least three and a half, four minutes yeah, yeah, to clean all the teeth. So yes, I have a lot still left, luckily. And that is over the Elmar, just on the, on the point you made, are you suggesting tongue scraping or tongue brushing, cheek brushing, as well as teeth brushing? I would just come to that. Absolutely. This and, is, this and is a, are we not problem. disrupting the, the oralome, the good bugs that we need when we do that? Or if we use a non-fluoridated toothpaste is that all okay just take us through the process the the tongue scraping is definitely important because it's it's not just bacteria that we get off there it's, it's a lot of tiny food particles that sit in these villi and so cleaning the tongue gives you a much fresher breast and it's it's absolutely essential it's essential as as doing the flossing Right. Okay. So, so tongue scraping, flossing, brushing, um, three or four minutes. What about the cheeks? 
Yeah, absolutely. Also, with your toothbrush, go into the cheeks, clean the cheeks all the way around so that they are clean. And you can make your own toothbrush. You can make your own mouthwash. Saliva actually is the best mouthwash if it's a good one, if you're balanced. Or you make your own. You have hydrogen peroxide, 3% is a great one. CDS works very well when you dilute it a little bit down. That works brilliantly. And as you say, absolutely, no fluoride. I mean, fluoride has its advantages, if you want to say so, um, especially when you put it in the water, makes people docile and does all sorts of funny things. So it all depends on what you want to use it for. And then crystallizes the pineal gland rather well as well. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's calcifying all the glands. So if someone doesn't want us to have the connection to our higher self, absolutely pour more uh, fluoride in the water. I mean, that that is a we, we've worked on fluoridation for many years and um, it is astounding that it can be so generally accepted that mass medication via the water supply um you know I, I, when you look at the sort of toxicology of it it's it's particularly interesting because the amount of drinking water that people consume either as water in beverages in cooking varies dramatically from person to person and it if you look at an athlete for example that may be um perspiring heavily um you know, particularly an endurance athlete, you might be consuming four four liters yeah. water a day um, versus someone else who might have you know less than one liter. So it's it's a very approximate way. And when the threshold of safety is so close to the intake, um, and that's even the mainstream view on safety. And obviously, we spent many years seeing the mainstream trying to um, conceal the yeah suggested evidence not just of impacts of high fluoride in terms of uh, disruption of of um, bone health and skeletal health but but also and obviously fluorosis but also carcinogenic effects so it is a it is a very very strange situation but we seem to live in a world in which um, mass medication is becoming more common not less common yeah and there's a very interesting um, thing happening or happened in, in Switzerland because Basel, they did, for example, fluoridation for more than 40 years and then they gathered their data and they were really surprised because they weren't any better in tooth decay or preventing tooth decay that they recommended to stop the water fluoridation. And they said, you, you can't do that. There's actually a lack of evidence of that water fluoridation is more effective than, than other measures. And yeah, tooth decay that actually rose in Basel despite having the water fluoridation. So I, I don't really get it why in the UK now there's such a big emphasis from all the professional bodies to, to get the water fluoridated again. And it, it's actually violating medical ethics, I would say. If we look at the Nuremberg Code, it's clearly that whatever goes into your body, you need to have or need to at least give the consent or need to know what's going in the body and is is doing for your body. Well, so 
we, you know, in a in a world in which we've had a mass vaccination program with experimental mRNA yep. vaccines, that is. You shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of it is dogma, and it and it is down to dogma. Um, you know, we were very involved in um, the Southampton um, fluoridation experiment to try and prevent fluoridation there. Um, and I was working with um, a dentist, Anthony Lisa. I don't know if you knew Anthony. He's sadly passed now. Um, but um, it was extraordinary to see how health officials, public health officials, really have just bought the line that fluoride is the most effective toxin to deal with tooth decay. Um, they are aware of the relationship with um, fluorosis, but they say the levels would be beneath that. But you can show them very easily that for, for a proportion of the society, that isn't the case. Um, and uh, they've just bought the dogma and um, they're not prepared to look at all of the available evidence. Absolutely. Um, they, they're just parroting what they say, but they, they don't go to the source where they get the, the real facts. Yeah, yeah. And and also they don't. Um, it's one of the difficulties with any of these public health policies, unless you look at all of the options, you know, equally in terms of evaluating their risk benefit and you just say well there's one prime one you you kind of don't see the the, the forest for the trees and um we've we've seen this with covid we certainly see it with dentistry and um obviously the relationship between diets i mean i, I appreciate the labor party at the moment is very keen to get um young kids into uh, preschools and primary schools and teach them all about teeth brushing and that again is symptomatic of the fact that there is this ever-increasing um, deterioration in oral health amongst children. But how much is that re related to the kinds of foods they consume? How much of that is related to the Absolutely. lack of supervision that occurs, that used to occur around dinner tables, for example, as more and more people no longer eat around a dinner table? It is the, the breakdown. And of course, this is this is why we're all at risk of increasingly being subject to nanny states because the sense of personal responsibility but um so um okay one, one, more, one more thing with the fluoridation that that is also very important if you fluoridate water i mean how much water is actually drunk i think it's it's 10 percent, and the rest of the 90 percent they go in the environment so we really have an environmental issue here uh, absolutely and of course the hydrofluorosilicic acid that is used in fluoridation ain't the same as the small amounts of sodium or potassium fluoride or fluoride ions that you'll find naturally in, in river waters. That I remember many years ago, that would be always the argument that we would find. So fluoride occurs naturally. I mean, if you look at the European Food Supplements Directive, you'll see that fluoride is listed in Annex 1 as a nutrient, as a micronutrient. Um, and again, that's part of the dogma that it's been sitting there for so long in public health circles as being this magical nu nutrient that facilitates oral health and reduces dental caries. And of course, that whole mechanism is a pharmaceutical mechanism. It's a pharmaceutical mechanism it, it, as, as you know only too well, it, it, it disturbs the whole 
carbohydrate cycling and the ability for streptococcus mutans to um, create plaques and and then create decay but um, it is a it is working as a drug and therefore it is a mass medication strategy so um, on the fluoride question for people I know in the UK for example a little over 15 percent of the water supply is fluoridated in in Ireland of course and of course we also have the north south survey in Ireland that again a fantastic piece of work that you know, should have immediately stopped fluoridation, but it hasn't. 75% of the water in the Republic of Ireland is fluoridated. In the United States and oh, yeah. Australia, it, it's it's a lot more than that. Um, what do you advise to people to ensure that they're not consuming fluoridated water when they live in a, an area where the municipal water is fluoridated? Well, you have a couple of options. Either you, you buy water where you know that it's not fluoridated or you have a, a filter system in your house or on your tap or near the tap where you can put the water in to, to filter the water. Okay. So, and the, the filter systems, well, you, you would support um, reverse osmosis or distillation, but um, which are, which obviously will remove it and also remove xenoestrogens. One, one of the difficulties is that they create... Um, very empty water that has this capacity to then pull um, trace minerals or ultra trace minerals out of the body. Um, are you are you um, in support of systems that then will look at, if you like, reconditioning that water with additional minerals and perhaps even um, restructuring it? Are you are you um, have you got into the whole field of of structured waters and how they may and benefit health well structured water is absolutely beneficial and that's what we do at home we have the <clears throat> the filters or the mirrors from our um treatments we use them to make the the water really energized and we also add when we distill water but also when we drink non-distillated water only the, the restructured water we we use fulvic minerals Fantastic. And I mean, you come in our kitchen, you wouldn't think it's a kitchen. It's more like a pharmacy with all the supplements. It's probably like in yours. <laughs> Rather similar to it. Yeah. So we, we have RO systems um, in our homes. We have them here at work, upstairs, downstairs. We remineralize and we re-energize. I, I think that that is the quality of water that, that comes through a municipal water system that it may have been multiple times through a human body even in the day that you consume it um is is so degraded and um i find one of the fascinating things about structured waters is you can you can feel the difference almost more than you can taste the difference that that rounded quality that you get in terms of the mouthfeel um is amazing and um the more we understand um you know the, the the work of people like jerry pollock at washington yes um uh in in washington university the easy water the fourth phase of water fourth phase, yes yeah the more we understand how vital that is to biological systems so um it's also it's also when you look at the work from mazuro emoto yes and they they are there is a difference and you can actually show it how the crystals look in in different ways from tap water to 
energized water or just the words we speak. And if we then relay that to our body, which is at least 75% water, then we need to really be aware of what we talk, how we speak and what we think. Okay, we're, we're going to get on to emotions and intention and all of that in a minute. But I want to just draw a link between what we were talking about, about bugs. We were talking about bad bugs and fluoride. Um, but we also need to understand that within the buccal cavity are going to be a whole range of bacterial and probably non-bacterial microbial communities that have a role in creating stability and are going to manage the populations of less friendly bacteria. So um, that oral home, that oral microbiome, how do we protect it? What do we understand about it? Um, how do we nurture it? We, we know that if we want to nurture the gut microbiome, we need to eat the right kind of foods, particularly foods that have soluble fiber that provide a substrate for um, the microbial communities. And we also need to feed them with polyphenols that come from, for example, colored vegetables and fruits. Um, what do we do to nurture um, the oralome um, that doesn't involve obviously poisoning them with, with lots of fluoride? I think a foundation to do the right thing is become metal free in your mouth. Okay. Because that has a huge effect. If we <clears throat> see at amalgam that's still in, in a lot of people's mouth and it's leaching out, so that has a detrimental effect on the oral biome. <clears throat> and if you then have other metals in your mouth, that gives the battery effect. And so that's not a healthy environment for the good bugs. Talk us, talk us through the, the what you call the battery effect, the electrochemical role of metals in the mouth, how that might work. Because we're, we're effectively, you're saying that um, having metal in your mouth is like smoking to systemic health. It is the kind of number one thing that, that everyone will agree, um, apart from the few dentists that still believe it's the right way to go. But nearly everyone recognizes the science points to a pretty negative um, effect. So... Um, talk us through the battery effect um, as distinct from the toxicity effect. Well, we know that amalgam fillings release uh, mercury 24-7. And if you have dissimilar metals in a solution, then there's always an exchange of electrons. So the electrons from the less precious metal go towards the more precious metals and you have a great solution, which is your saliva. And that is also why a lot of patients who have amalgam fillings and other metals, they have this kind of metallic taste in their mouth. And it's nothing else what they taste than this electron flow that comes from the amalgam to the crowns. And therefore, when you say, okay, I'll, I'll get rid of my amalgam fillings, you should actually also get rid of your gold crowns because they are now contaminated with the mercury. And sometimes we see these the dark blue blackish spots mm. on the gum around these metal crowns. It's nothing else than a deposition of mercury in the gum. So it's, a, it's an intoxication of the gum in that area because it was pulled 
into this area due to the difference in in preciousness so so having metals is a bit like having a electrolysis apparatus within the mouth but it's something that people are not told when they have all that metal put in now some people are wary about having the metal removed because yeah. they're often told that's going to be your exposure yeah. is the greatest so Take us through how that all works. Are there ways of doing it that are safer? Can any dentist do it? Or should it be only those who are specifically trained in safely removing metals from the mouth? I completely agree with people saying when you get amalgams removed, this is more toxic than anything else and you rather keep your amalgam fillings. However, is this exactly as you say, there is a protocol to protect not only the patient because the patient they get it once, but the the staff and the dentist, they get it 24-7 or the way around. So you need to have a protocol and there's a protocol called SMART, Safe Mercury Amalgam Removal Technique. And that means that the patient is completely protected from tip, top to toe, eyes protected as usual. They get oxygen insufflation through the nose, and so it's it's only the mouth that is open. The mouth is covered with what we call a, a rubber dam and special suctions that surround the tooth. Then there's an external suction. We also give our patients vitamin C infusions to really support the detox then already in the chair. And then it's also important how you drill the amalgam filling. Now, we don't really drill them out. We more likely to cut them. So we go at the margin between the amalgam filling and the tooth and then cut around there and then flick the amalgam out in, in big pieces. So we don't even create that massive amount of vapor that you would normally create if you just go in and kind of drill it out. So that is very, very important. And the other thing is, if you don't do it that way, A, as a dentist, as staff, you inhale the most thing. So that's the reason why staff and dentists, they wear masks. So when you come into to the surgery, when we do that, it, it looks like in a sci-fi movie because we're totally with these masks and, and, and it's important. It's so, so important. So patient also rinses with activated charcoal. We put charcoal in the tooth once the amalgam is removed. Leave it there for a while because the charcoal actually pulls the mercury even more out of the tooth. And when, when a, a dental practice doesn't do that, the mercury floats around and then sits on the floor. Amazing. And you don't get rid of it. So is, is there any relationship, is there any data that shows occupational health data that shows that dentists have higher, um, you know, deposits of, of, of mercury? Well, what I, what I know is that there are researches from dentist brains, and that is a hundred times higher in mercury levels. Wow. Than, than the average person. Than the average person. We also know that the suicide rate with dentists is higher than the average rate and so is alcoholism amazing amazing so 
um, this removal process? And obviously, do, do you use dams as yeah, well? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, it obviously needs. How, how does someone find out whether a um, a dentist is going to be um, equipped? Do they say, do you use the smart protocol? And if they don't know what you're talking about, you shouldn't bother with them. And, and secondly, do, what what does the British Dental Association, for example, think about the smart protocol? Are they not recommending it? Okay, so. The SMART protocol was introduced by the International Academy of Medical and Oral Toxicology, IAOMT, in the States. And you can get certified there. So you can put that on your website as we have SMART certified dentists. That's the first thing. And so you can check on their website, can ask, as you say, are you SMART certified? And there are definitely loads of dentists who are not SMART certified but use a similar protocol. So okay. if, if they are approachable, if they talk about it, what they do, how they do it, then you definitely have a, a good dentist rather than say, oh, I'll do it my way. And it has always worked kind of yeah. this arrogance that we know from the people in, in Y codes. So then that might be an idea to ask a few more questions. And if you're not satisfied with the question, just ask someone else. So you you got to be either smart or double smart. Being yeah. smart to ask in the first place, use some of the smart protocol or someone. It's, it's a little bit like the um, situation we now face with organic farming and certified organic foods and regen ag. So you know, there's a lot of farmers who are saying, "Look, we're doing regenerative agriculture. We're looking after the soil, and we're not putting pesticides and synthetic fertilizers in there, but we're not." certified organic and guess what our prices are lower we're not charging the premium so it's a similar kind of relation Absolutely. all for yeah. the benefit of of holism so there's quite a lot of trust that that builds there absolutely and, and in terms of the bda well their stance is it does what i would say is that it doesn't really matter because they they were up in arms when they heard of the eu ban that comes up in january next year this will destroy the NHS <laughs> and it's wow. the most common material and for permanent fillings and it has been used for 150 years and has been good and its safety is established and I mean it's all that nonsense. Especially when you see the whole problem being that dental caries rates are, are, are rising not going down, oral health is deteriorating not improving, incredible. So again yeah, the, the challenge here is that as we said at the beginning, it's we we look at one thing, we we look at the symptom, but we never look at the whole. What, as you previously said, what do they eat? How do they eat? Because it's, it's not about the brushing. It's yeah. it's about what do we give our bodies so that they can create a real harmony in itself, rather than pushing poisons or or whatever on it to and then thinking we we could help it with that so this this is I so, think a very logical approach. Uh, absolutely so we we've covered two things that help ensure we have a healthy oral and one is to get the metal out safely using a smart protocol or a protocol equivalent to that another one is not using routinely um fluoride products um toothpaste and you know uh, mouthwashes etc even even flosses 
Um, in many cases, typically covered in, in fluoride, I, I choose ones that are not. Um, is there it's also a important with a, with a floss? And I think there's there's research coming out now that there are these these microplastics that they release from the floss and they then go into your gums. So I would actually recommend if someone buys their new floss, go for a silk. There's no plastic in at all. Yeah, I, I use um, silk or cotton. Um, yeah, one or the other. Um, fantastic. So I now want to go to the subject of emotions. Right. Um, so we, we've, we've talked about physical health, what we do, how we eat, when we eat. We've talked about um, uh, protocols that can give us a healthier buccal cavity. But you, I know that you're very interested in the relationship between our emotions and our oral health, and because oral health is so integral to total health. How does that work? Well, again, with the teeth, and the rest of the body, they're interconnected. So every single tooth is connected to an organ. For example, the front four teeth, upper and lower, they're connected to your kidneys, to your bladder, to your urogenital system. The when, when you say connection, are you talking about an energetic connection or a neurological connection or any other type of connection? Well, it is an energetic connection, However, it was proven that these acupuncture points are actually existing. So we're talking about the medicine that the Chinese did for thousands of years with acupuncture. And through these acupuncture pathways, energy pathways, teeth are connected with those according organs. So if, for example, you have a, a dead tooth, in your mouth, then this can prevent the energy from flow properly. And this then also can trigger issues in the correlated areas of prostate, kidneys, bladder, urogenital system, when that is a tooth that is under in the front of your upper or lower jaw. And so you can connect all those different teeth with organs. And then with the organs, you can connect emotions. And we, we have all these sayings when you can't digest something or you can't let go of things. So can't let go, that's, for example, the large intestine. And what we found when we did surgery, we had quite a few patients that had to come back for surgery. It was okay for three months, six months, and then the symptoms came back. And we did a second surgery. Sometimes we did a third or fourth surgery. I was wondering, why do people heal properly and maintain and others don't? And then we, we introduced a system where we look into these underlying issues, these, I would say, blocked emotions. And they are most of the times they are not aware. They're subconsciously, and Sam Cooper, who does the treatment in our clinic, she has the capacity to, to really bring those blocked emotions to the open and releases it. And since we do that, the healing is so much better, and it is consistent 
if people really do the homework. So it's not just that you come and yeah, just do it for me. It's, it's important that they follow the, the homework that we give, the supplementation protocol, for example. And it's a combination of light kinesiology of the emotion card from Dr. Bradley Nelson and Gadrike Hamer's German New Medicine and Sam's intuition. And she is absolutely brilliant. And, and people now come to her from all over the world because it can be done remotely, which is brilliant. And just to help them do other things not related to teeth. And we know when we release these blocked emotions, I mean, this is this can be life-changing for people. And so up to about three, four years, I would say a root canal is a root cause. Mm. However, I would now say it's a consequence of a root cause, which is the blocked emotion. And this is what we find or Sam finds out all the time. And this, this that is way around. That's very brain. interesting. And, and, but... and she, she traces it into the brain. So it's then released all over the body. It's it's an absolute fascinating way of looking at things and if you think of it again it makes so much sense absolutely so and of course we've done an interview with with sam who you, you know pretty well don't you uh, i do yes absolutely <laughs> being your wife um but um the the um so someone who has um a root canal does is it sufficient just to do the emotional work or is that root canal I mean, we're aware, obviously, that many people have a problem with a root canal because there might be some residual infection in there that creates, a, a, you know, persistent inf inflammatory and immune uh, problem. But from an energetic point of view, can you overcome the presence of that root canal and just leave it be? Or, you know, should it come? Because we hear more and more people saying, if you've got, a tooth that's decayed right to the root don't have a root canal have the thing taken out and you know perhaps have an implant um are all the solutions able to be dealt with emotionally by someone of sam's ability or do we need to get to the physical as well and change whatever you know root canal filling has been done it really, really depends on the patient. There are people who have a high compensation level and they can deal with all sorts of things in their mouth. They, they get to their 90s, hundreds with root canals, with amalgam fillings. Mm. Now, when these people started out their life, they hadn't had that many toxins when they grew up. And so nowadays people have far more things to deal with on a toxic level that it's difficult for most to compensate. And it's, it's, it really is the compensation. If you look at, at babies, when they drop out the womb, they, they already have 200 toxins in their blood. So we, we know that there's a lot of load there. And it's, it's a bit like when you treat root canals with laser or with ozone. The laser, the ozone might be able to really go through all the four or five miles of tiny little channels in one single tooth. 
to, to clear that. Mm -hmm. However, when you stop the treatment and you can't fill these tiny little channels, you can only fill the main channel with a root canal treatment. And this is where the, the specialist endodontist um, do their perfect job, but they can't get into these other areas. And so the, the bugs, they migrate in again and nothing gets them because they, they sit there without anything really getting to them. So it would be, in a way, a constant semiing for, for them to, to stay in that way. So we haven't yet found a way of, of dealing with that. And therefore, my suggestion is that, well, I can only ever speak for myself, I would never want a root canal treated tooth in my mouth. And funnily enough, if you look at all the disciplines in medicine, dentistry is the only one where, where it's said if a dead organ is there, it's, it's a good thing. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Everywhere else, if you have a gangrenate toe, it's cut off to not poison the rest of the body. And well, yeah, obviously you don't drop dead when you have a root canal. However, it's, it's the summation of all these things. And... Therefore, I would never want a root canal in my mouth. I think some of that comes from the fact that if you have a much more holistic and long-term view of health, you see health in a completely different way. Um, I think the difficulty is that um, you know the mainstream medical system and also the you've made that fantastic point about the disconnection between dentistry. I mean, why on earth? Has dentistry not been incorporated within holistically within the whole medical profession? It's been pushed to the side. Absolutely. And, and people tend to see teeth as non-living because they just see the enamel on the outside and they don't see all the living parts on the inside. Absolutely. So, so when looking at that energetic connection, which is obviously well understood through the meridian system in traditional Chinese medicine, for example. Um, and, and I know that there are many modern day uh, energetic frequency type devices that can also verify that, that can show direct relationships, bioresonance machines, for example. And um, we've been working with a machine uh, made by a company called VitaTech that, that has a specific program that looks at the relationship between the teeth and the rest of the body. But um, is the energetic connection there only when a live tooth is in place? If that living tooth has disappeared, either been removed or it's been killed, um, does that is that connection still exist energetically or or does it disappear i mean essentially if it did disappear that organ would have lost its connection to something that from an evolutionary point of view it was meant to have and does that have uh, an untoward effect in any way no the the energy pathway is always there it's it's just blocked in the area where the root canal treated tooth or the dead tooth is and once the dead tooth comes out the blockage is gone and the energy pathways the energy on that pathway flows again okay okay so that would that would be a strong reason why you would be saying you know i wouldn't have a root canal because you're just leaving that that dead tooth in place no that that's a fantastic insight 
it's, it's um, also when 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 you have a dead tooth we look at the bacteria or the excretes from the bacteria they can then combine when when the tooth really disintegrates they combine with the mercury when you have mercury in your teeth and build even worse combinations that then have a, a really bad effect when that goes down into your gut yeah yeah Fantastic. Elmar, it's it's been um, amazing talking with you. What I'd love you to finish on is two things. One is what are the most important tips you can give to people who are not yet your patients? General recommendations for healthy oral health, systemic health. Um, and then if you can also just provide um a little bit of detail of of any information that people can get your website um your 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 details that would be fantastic so um over to you for um the closing remarks we are a very bespoke small clinic and because we have a lot of people who ask us questions i've created a podcast elmas tooth talk so the main thing I think for people is to educate themselves so that they know what's actually going on in their mouth when they go to the dentist, what options do they have, ask the right questions. And I covered the entire dentistry with my podcast. It's free, available. It's about 100 episodes and people can really look into that when it comes to root canal treatment. Just listen to the podcast that I did for that the episodes i think this this is very very important i also wrote a little book that's easy to read shut your mouth and open wide got it here <laughs> that's how it looks fantastic and so yeah really take responsibility this is always what i say in my talks with the patients and uh when we give a a talk in the public because people we trust those doctors and dentists and we need to start questioning and if we get the right answers brilliant then you're with a with a, a really good person a good dentist a good doctor it's the same with solicitors i mean it goes everywhere we we need to have this due diligence in a way and be really more smart and also in a positive way aggressive because it's it's our health that we, we want to really maintain and the health of our family, of our kids. And so there are no silly questions. Therefore, ask whatever you don't understand. Nowadays with the internet, brilliant. You have so many uh, options to look at. Although the internet can be quite a, a funny thing to, to get information. But yeah, have a look what other holistic dentists say and also feel into your body what makes sense to you what does what we were talking about how does that feel to you and if you say god that's bollocks well fine that's that's your opinion and and that's fine you're at that stage in your life and then you are where you are and this is sometimes important for us that we then step towards our patients and pick them up where they are and, and lead them on the way that they want to go, but not yet know that this is the best for them. 
And if someone wants to look into the podcast, it's www.dr-elmar-jung. That's dr-echo-lima-mike-alpha-romeo-j-u-n-g. Jung, not Jung. That's, that was quite funny. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a new patient coming in and because a lot of people say Jung, and he came in and said, oh my God, you're not Chinese. <laughs> oh my God. And they clearly haven't, haven't read any Carl Jung. Um, that's, that was the comment I was going to make. Any, any relative, <laughs> Carl, any relative. Um, hence the, the link with Sam and emotions, but um, probably not. Um, the, the, the amazing thing about oral health is that most people have a direct relationship at least twice a day with this part of the body. They don't necessarily have that same two times a day relationship with their liver or their kidneys or their lungs or any other organ. Um, so um, you, you may be aware of the, the work of um, the Stanford behavioral scientist, B.J. Fogg, um, who, who's written this fantastic book called Tiny Habits that helps people to get into healthier lifestyles. And um, what he's often looking for is think about something that you do every day and then use it as a trigger to do another healthy habit. And the fantastic thing with the teeth is that we can start to think about how we change our approach to health by using the teeth brushing that that now may become the tongue scraping and the cheek brushing that that may not involve the fluoride toothpaste and fluoride mouthwashes but immediately that we finish we may do something else dare i say some sit-ups some pull-ups some things that trigger mitochondria that we all need um, to maintain health so it is a fantastic kind of ramp into um taking responsibility for our health something that um uh, sadly more and more people think that they should um you know pass yeah. cede that responsibility to you know a doctor an institution a nation a supranation etc um but um so look fantastic yeah, well, there was one sorry to interrupt yes, there was no, one Karen. point we we haven't actually got into which is very very important and that's the breathing Oh. Well, look, please, before we finish, tell us about breathing. Breathing obviously is, is critical to health. Um, now we want to know how it's critical to, to oral health in particular. A lot of our patients, when we ask them and we do certain tests, they breathe through their mouth. Mm -hmm. So when you do breathe through the mouth during the night, this will dry out your mouth and the saliva is the one liquid that you need in your mouth to swamp away the bacteria. Also, breathing through the nose filters the way the air goes into your lungs. That's not happening in that degree when you breathe through your mouth. Now, the question is, why do you breathe through your mouth rather than your nose? Well, you could either have a deviation in your septum in your nose, your nose is blocked, your sinuses are blocked through all sorts of environmental things or smoking, for example, or your tongue is not positioned in the right way. And that is what we find most of the time the case. The tongue doesn't sit where it should sit. Where should it sit? 
behind the top teeth, but not touching the teeth, but the palate. Mm. If the tongue's not sitting there at night, it's further back. And therefore, when it's further back, it's constricting the airways. And mm. so you don't get as much air in through your nose. So you then start breathing through your mouth and you start and snoring. You start snoring. Yeah. you start snoring. And with the snoring, when it gets worse, you have this, what we call sleep apnea. And you have seconds where you don't breathe at all. Mm. So if you don't breathe properly, you're not rejuvenated properly in the day. And that is when we see these second um, symptoms where people all of a sudden close their eyes, especially dangerous in, in, in traffic. And people are just not relaxed anymore because they are in bed for seven or eight hours, but they haven't got the sleep they need to regenerate their systems. And so this goes on and on. And then they have not only problems with concentration, but this goes on to their cardiovascular system. So it's a, a big, 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 big issue. And we have included that in our initial consultation to make sure that people at least become aware. And most people are aware because they always get the notch at night. <laughs> and, and, and they can use devices. Do you support the use of devices that will help position the tongue more correctly to ensure that the tongue doesn't drop back? Yeah, we do that. We promote the taping. So we have a whole range of uh, devices and um, exercises for people to to help them become nose breathers again. Fantastic! Look, that that is really important advice. Um, Elmar, it's been an amazing pleasure talking to you. There, there's so many good points that have made, been made throughout this that could be transformational for people. Um, people can obviously go to um, Dr. Elmer's podcast, um, Tooth Talk. Uh, to find out more, you can read his book. Um, people who are in the United Kingdom can visit his clinic and they can also benefit from Sam's consultation wherever they are on the planet, perhaps even off planet. Um, but um, it has been such a pleasure, Elmar, to talk to you. Um, and um, we hope to talk to you again soon. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you very much for your invite. Rob. No problem. Thank you. Okay, talk soon. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye.